0: When you came in this morning, you um, and I don't have one here. Picked up a whole stack of handouts. If you haven't gotten them, they're in the box in the back. wasn't real. Sh- I just didn't want to set them out because they're it's slick, and I was afraid that it would. They just kind of fall all over the place. So. Um, if you want to just look at that stack, let me tell you what we're going to do with those this morning, so that you can kind of stay stay with with us. Um, so um, towards the back, in fact, let's start from the back. On the the very back, the very last one is the new Wellspring Kids schedule. I think Dina emailed you, but. Here it is in written form, Um, so just make sure that you put that on your personal calendar, and uh, then if for some reason you need to switch with someone, you've got uh, the contact information to call someone to switch and then just let Dina know. And then the two second-to-last ones are colored pages, and if you would just put those aside for this morning, okay, those are your homework, or you use those later when you get home. Um, So just kind of set those off to the side and then um, I'll walk you through as we need um, each of the rest of them this morning. So last week, Scott came in, and he explained how Grace Bible Church understands and seeks to live out what God says in his word, about what it means to be a church, and what it means to be God's worshippers, and then he explained where Wellspring fits into the church's vision and purpose. That this, what, what we're doing right here together on Thursday mornings, is a part of building up the women of Grace Bible Church. And encouraging and equipping us to live as sent out ones in our homes and everywhere else that the Lord places us. And so we're going to begin this morning like we will every week and I'm going to ask you to turn your notebooks over, and we're going to look at our Wellspring Purpose and Discipline. And the very first top worksheet that you had, this is just a place to take notes on the purpose and disciplines, if that would be helpful to you. So we meet together each time to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts toward Jesus Christ with the Word of God, so that, this is the purpose... They live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's why we have this ministry of Wellspring, to train us in godly living. We want to be women who are faithful to God. And to help us pursue that purpose, we have these three disciplines. Discipline number one, the faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God, through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. The faithful woman shepherds her heart. So first of all, what do we mean by heart? And we're going to have an entire lesson on this. Suzanne's going to teach an entire lesson on this in just a few weeks. We looked at it very quickly last week. By heart, we mean the inner man, who we are at the heart level. It's who we are inwardly before God. It's not just a part of us like the world thinks about it. It's not it doesn't only involve our emotions, but it's the whole inner nature of man. And the reason why we talk so much about the heart in Wellspring is because everything that comes out of us comes from the heart. In your homework, you looked at some verses where Jesus explained that everything flows from our hearts. How we live reveals what's in our hearts. Our thoughts, our desires, our opinions, our attitudes, our emotions, our words, our actions, our reactions all flow out of our heart. So since the heart is who we are in the inner man, and since everything comes from the heart, we need to understand how to care for our hearts, right? We must understand the importance of bringing our hearts before God's word in a way that will cultivate our nearness to God, that grows our affections for him so that we are equipped to continue shepherding our hearts throughout the day. Now that means bringing our thoughts, our words, our emotions, everything, into alignment with god's word so discipline number two is the home the faithful woman of god is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with her heart fixed on god and his word. we all have a spiritual we all have a spiritual influence in our home the question that we need to ask ourselves is what kind of an influence are we making there We need to be looking for ways to bring truth and encouragement from God's word into our conversations with those in our home. But for many of you, those conversations are with little ones, very little people, and they are important. We need to be women who understand the value that God places on those relationships in our home. we need to be purposeful in making those relationships a priority. This kind of woman who cares for and ministers to those in her home is committed to caring for her heart with God's word because she understands that caring for her household is an overflow of her walk with the Lord. Our conversations and our attitudes and our service to those in our homes should all reflect that we've met with God in his word and that he is our greatest treasure. And then discipline three is ministry. With the heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home of priority, the faithful woman of God steps into the church and every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. These disciplines help us establish priorities. If we have supplied what our heart needs because we've been drawing in on God's word and we are caring for those in our households as an extension for our heart for God, then we will be ready to serve and to care for others as well. Did you notice how all of these disciplines focus on the heart? That ought to help us understand our great need to shepherd our heart and God's great provision for us. And so in our lesson this morning, we're going to look at what God has done for us in the gospel to provide for our greatest need and how it will help us understand why and how we must shepherd our heart with God's word. So before we dig in, let's go ahead and pray and ask God for his help. Father, we are so thankful for your word. Father, what a gift it is to us. Thank you that it reveals to us so much of who you are, of how you desire for us to live. Thank you for the things that we can learn about our own hearts, how they can't be trusted, but how we need your word to evaluate them. Father, I pray that we would have the right heart attitude before you, as we listen to this lesson, as we dig into your word this morning, that we would be submissive, humble, underneath your word, that we would let your word speak over us. And Father, as we do, I pray that we would be humble enough to not just be hearers of the word, but that we, by your grace, would be doers of your word, all for your honor and glory. We pray that in the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right, I want you to take out now your blue brochure, this one right here, that you received this morning. It says on the front, God's transformation of man. These are states and events in a believer's life. So if you open it up and you look across at that chart, Essentially what we have in there is the gospel okay, We're going to look this morning at God's great salvation work in the gospel Because the gospel is something that we need Not just, not merely for understanding salvation, not merely for salvation But understanding the gospel affects how we live as believers It is the foundation for shepherding our hearts so the blue brochure is set up in a, um, a format where it folds up and, uh, so that it's easy to keep in your Bible, maybe in a journal. Um, but we, want, we put it in that form because we want you to use it. This is yours to be used often. That, that's our hope, that you would use it often. Our desire is that you would use it as a tool to shepherd your heart and to preach the gospel to yourself. Now you also received that blue brochure in a worksheet format. Okay, we just put it like this. Um, It's just easier to take notes on it this way. It's easier to to write on. Um, So if you want, my suggestion is you choose one of the two. Either use these to take notes or just follow along with the blue brochure. You you really should only need one of them this morning. I think it might be a little confusing to go back and forth, so choose one and then just put the other one aside. Okay, so clearly there is a lot of information here, right? And since we're going to cover this all in one lesson, all of it today, here's what we're not going to do. Okay, we're not going to cover everything that's here. So if this is your first time taking wells, we're going to take a sigh of relief. We're not going to be here for three hours, okay? But what I really want to do is help you understand. What's here in general terms, okay, and how it can help you shepherd your heart, to care for. When we say shepherd a heart, we mean to care for, to watch over our hearts diligently. But you get to dig into this on your own. That's why you get to take it home in your own time with the Lord, in prayer, or perhaps even with others. So I just want to talk for a minute for those of you who have taken Wellspring before maybe even several times. I think that it will be really helpful for us to ask ourselves these questions. How am I doing, or how am I using these truths to shepherd my heart? How am I caring for others in my home with these gospel realities? How are these truths becoming more and more deeply rooted in my own heart, and how are they bearing the fruit of a gospel transformed lives? So as we go over this again this morning, I think we it, I just wanna encourage all of us to look at this um, with the idea and be thinking about how can we grow more in these truths of shepherding our hearts. I know that I need these truths year after year. It's so helpful to sharpen my focus on the riches of the gospel and to let the gospel saturate my own heart. Okay, so let's um, start by looking at the figures at the across the top of that chart. And this is going to give us an overview of the chart. So when you see people, you see those figures up at the top, that represents a condition of man, or we could say a state of man. So there's the gray figure over on the left, and then in the middle, you see those three gray to, gray to yellow gray figures in the middle. And then on the very right, you'll see that there's, there's a bright yellow figure. And each has a description underneath in blue describing that condition. And notice that the people have both an inner man and an outer shell. The inner man, again, is who we are at the heart level. It's what we've already talked about. It's how God sees us. And the outer shell represents our physical bodies, or what the Bible refers to as our members. It's our hands, our eyes, our mouths, all of the ways that we express what's in our hearts. And then between the figures, you'll see some dark gray triangles. All of these triangles represent events, things that happen at a point in time once each event has happened, you can never go back. So this diagram only moves from left to right. And the descriptions of those events are down at the bottom of the chart. So if you follow along that dark gray path down from the triangle down to the very bottom, that's where each of these events is described. And it's placed that way merely because that's where we had space to put it. But the sequence of this uh, chart you'll see at the through the figures up at the top. So on the left, we have the unregenerate man. This is who we were apart from Christ. It's who anyone is apart from Christ. And then the rest of the chart shows what happens to a believer. So the unregenerate person becomes a regenerate person. That means being a follower of Jesus through the event of regeneration. This is conversion it's when a person becomes a Christian through the gospel. Because people, that like the one that we see over on the left, need only one thing. They need the gospel to transform them. They need to be born again. So then moving to the right in that middle panel, you see those three gray-yellow figures representing the condition of the regenerate man. That's the believer. That's what the Bible calls the new creation or the new man. And that represents our condition right now in the Christian life. Here, the inner man is fundamentally different than the unregenerate man. And we're going to see that more clearly. The regenerate man is in the process of changing. That's why you see the color of those figures at the top changing from gray to yellow as you move to the right. And then continuing to the right, the next triangle you'll see is death. That's an event. So that triangle represents the physical death of the believer. And after death, you see a completely yellow figure without the outer shell. In other words, there's no body. The outer man is dead, but the inner man continues to live. And it's all yellow. At that time, we will no longer be fighting sin. We will be with Jesus. And then you see the triangle for the resurrection or rapture. And again, those are both events. And then you can see that we will be in a condition with a glorified body. And that word rapture refers to what's described in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. It's when Christ comes and he catches up believers to be with him. First, those who have died. Okay, that's the resurrection. Followed by those who are alive. And that's what's called the rapture. And that's when we get our glorified bodies. Okay, so that's the overview of the chart. Now we get to talk in more detail about what God has done for us in the gospel and how we can use that to shepherd our hearts. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians 2. And let's start with who we were before Christ. And again, this is who anyone is apart from Christ. And as you do that, kind of look along in that first uh, blue section, too, where it says the unregenerate man. These verses describe who a person is without Jesus. It describes all of us before the gospel had impacted our lives and made us new. This was our identity. So let's start in verse 1 of Ephesians 2. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Okay, so you see that on, your, on the chart there, it says dead in sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. So the next thing you see is walks in sins on the chart. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. And you see that on the chart. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Ephesians 2.12 says that we were without hope and we were without God. That was our condition. Colossians 1.13 says that we were in the domain of darkness. We were under the authority and the power of of darkness. We were under the control of darkness, and it blinded us to see our lost condition and the spiritual danger that we were in. Titus 3.3 says, for we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, and deceived. That's why we didn't understand how truly lost we were. We were deceived Titus continues, we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. Sin ruled every part of us. Romans 6 tells us that we were slaves to sin. Sin mastered us. We had nothing within us to fight against it, nor did we have the desire to fight against it. So now if you look over in that third column under the key descriptions of this old condition, you'll see that we were in an unmixed condition. Now what I mean by that is we were unmixed in regard to death. Okay, we weren't mostly dead. We were completely dead. There wasn't a trace of spiritual life in us. We were unmixed in regards to hostility toward God. There was no trace of honor for him in us. We were unmixed in our love for self-rule and our hatred for God's rule. Excuse me. We were unable to shepherd our hearts away from sin and to God. And because of this, we were, and this is the final description there, we were under God's wrath and judgment. See, there is a penalty for sin. Think about what we've just seen. We were hostile toward God, the creator, the ruler of all things. How could God be just and not punish that? How could he not judge us? God has holy, righteous wrath against sin. There is a penalty, a judgment that will come and it must be paid. Now, for those who never turn to Christ in repentance and faith, they will bear that wrath themselves for all eternity in hell. For those of us who have been saved out of that condition, out of that state, it's good to be reminded that that is what we once were. It's who we used to be. Because it helps us understand how to shepherd our hearts. How? How do we shepherd our hearts with these truths? And I want you to know that after um, each section, I'm going to ask this same question. Because I think it's going to be the most practical part of our lesson today. But since this isn't on the chart, um, we put these examples of how to shepherd our heart in one of the colored handouts that I had you put aside. Um, So you don't need that in front of you now, but just so you're not scrambling to try and take all of these down in your notes. Right now, I just want you to know that you have it to look at it later. So how do we shepherd our hearts with these truths? First and most, these truths help us shepherd our heart to worship God. In humility and thanksgiving, that he would save a wretch like me. Remembering who we were magnifies the greatness of God's love for us in the gospel. And that will fuel our love for him and our desire to want to draw near to him in his word. And these truths are a tremendous help in shepherding our hearts to extend mercy when others sin. Rather than being personally offended by their sin, we can remind ourselves of our own great sin from which God has rescued us. We can be grieved over that sin, but patient and gracious and forgiving toward the sinner. When we shepherd our heart in that way, we might even be God's instrument to help rescue the sinner, to help that one repent. And finally, we can let these truths of who we were apart from Christ drive us to proclaim the gospel to those who are lost. Because if his love was powerful enough to save us, it's powerful enough to save anyone. So when we preach the gospel to ourselves, when we shepherd our hearts, we need to remember who we were before God saved us. We need to remember that we were dead in our sins. We were without hope. And we were without God. Can I just encourage you to take some time this week and soak in these verses and then let it become a consistent part of your heart shepherding? All right, now we get to look at God's answer, his solution to the condition of the unregenerate man we get to talk about regeneration. Again, you'll see regeneration represented by that first gray triangle up at the top of the chart. The triangle is pointing down. You see the pathway down to the bottom there? And again, that's where the regeneration event is described. So how does a person ever escape that condition of death that we just looked at? God regenerates us regeneration means new birth we're talking about the beginning of our new life in christ where we are declared righteous you see that down at the bottom towards the right it says declared righteous god's solution for what we had made of ourselves in that dead unmixed condition was not to clean it up or to fix it up no he starts over He causes us to be born again. And as we look at this event, what is key is that all of this has been accomplished by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as you look at this section, there may be some unfamiliar words um, to you in it. But remember, Scott mentioned last week that it's just, it's a vocabulary, okay? And I think that vocabulary will be really helpful to us. Because when we come across these words as we're reading our Bibles, we want to know what they mean. And so we're going to look at them. They're important because they help describe what God did when he saved us. So what is God's solution to man's unmixed rebellion toward him? Let's look at the regeneration event components. Do you see that in the second column there? These are once and for all time events accomplished by God for the believer at conversion. Ephesians 2.5 tells us that even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our transgressions, God made us alive together with Christ. He didn't just make us alive off somewhere on our own, spared from hell. But when he gave us new life, he made us alive together with Christ. He also gives us positional sanctification. God, once and for all, set believers aside. He set us aside He set us apart from sin, and he set us apart for God. The word sanctification has two different meanings in um, the New Testament. We can look at it two different ways. So it's used to describe this positional um, declaration of holiness that God makes. Okay? So um, it's one time. It's an event. He also uses it, to describe the process of becoming holy. And we're going to look at that in the next section as we um, move forward. But here he's talking about the event of regeneration. Positional sanctification means that God once and for all in an event declares us to be holy in his sight. This is God's solution to all that we were before, all that's in that left-hand column. The unregenerate man, that man, that woman is anything but holy. We need to be taken out of that state. God needed to give us new life, and God needed to make us holy before him. So let's keep going. What's the next thing that you see listed there? See where it says justification? Okay, God's answer to our old condition was to declare us to be righteous on the basis of faith alone, to justify us on the basis of Christ's sinless record. What do you see next on the chart? You can go ahead and shout it out if you want. Imputation. Okay. God's answer to what we were was to impute or to credit our sin to Jesus. And to impute or to credit God's righteousness to us. But there will never be a more amazing exchange than that. And yet nothing less would suffice to take us out of the state that we were in and make us acceptable before God. What else do we learn about God's answer to what we were? He adopted us. Ephesians 1 5 says, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Now, not every earthly father has kind intentions toward his children, but our heavenly father does. That's why he adopted us. Through adoption, God made us his own children. We are loved and cared for, taught, and even disciplined by God for our holiness, he becomes our perfect heavenly father. What else? What is, God, what is God's answer for the unrighteous condition that we were in? Union with Christ, right? He unites us with his own son. See, our huge problem before is that we were without Christ. And by the way, we loved it that way. And God's solution was to unite us with Christ, thereby allowing us to share in all of the benefits and riches that that resulted from Christ's obedient life and his death and his resurrection. Our condition was so bad that God invested the most precious thing he had. He gave his son and he unites us with his son. And that was such a powerful work of God that God says we can never go back to what we were before Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. We can never lose our salvation, and we can never go back to what we were before Christ. Do we still sin? Yeah, we do. And we're going to talk about why in a minute. But a believer can never go back to being enslaved to sin. Sin will never again be our master. And then next we have expiation. Mm-hmm. Expiation means sin removed. It's the taking away of our guilt and sin. Hebrews 9.26 says, Jesus has been manifested to put away sin, by the sacrifice of himself. That's expiation. Sin put away. We needed that desperately. If we were going to be made right with God, our sin and our guilt had to be taken away. What's next? Propitiation means wrath satisfied. God's wrath was satisfied through Jesus' blood. If there was any hope for us to have a relationship with God, God had to take his cup filled with wrath toward us and pour it out completely so that when he looks at it, he is satisfied. His wrath toward us is gone because it has been placed on his son in our place. And the next one the next one listed is redemption it means bought with Jesus blood Ephesians 1 5 says in him we have redemption through his blood there was only one thing that God would accept to redeem us out of slavery to sin and that was the blood of Jesus that's what God provided to redeem us for himself so what else has God done What's the next thing you see there reconciliation that means to be at peace with God again if we were to have any hope of being with God we had to be reconciled to him God had to overcome the separation that existed between us and him and second corinthians 5:18 mm-hmm. says that God reconciled us to himself through Christ God did everything that was required while we were his enemies, to bring us to himself. And then the next thing that we see is that he granted us forgiveness. He releases us from the judgment we deserve. And then the last one, the old man is crucified. Romans 6.6 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin that was god's solution to that old to the state of the old unregenerate man he crucifies it it's gone we can never go back he has made us something completely new This is all because of what Christ has done on the cross. This is what happens when a person is saved, when the gospel is applied to a sinner and she becomes a saint. So how do we shepherd our heart with these glorious gospel realities? Let me ask you this. What is your heart doing right now after hearing what God has done for you? Is there thankfulness, joy, peace, maybe some relief? Does it bring you comfort? See, those are all ways that these truths can be used to shepherd our hearts. What if we were tempted to think that God doesn't really love us, doesn't really care for us? Would these truths help us turn our hearts away from that kind of wrong thinking? and would they help us remember that God demonstrated his great love for us on the cross, that we've been bought with the blood of Jesus and we've received his forgiveness? What if we were tempted to think that our sin wasn't really that serious? Would these truths help soften our heart to look at our Savior on the cross being our substitute bearing God's wrath against the very sin that we're tempted to excuse? Do you think that remembering these truths might strengthen us to flee from sin and to run to Christ? What if we preach to our heart that we are adopted not only as God's child, but also as a sister with many brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're a part of God's family, Do you think that would help us treasure the body of Christ? Our time together on Thursday mornings? Do you think it would help us to be looking for opportunities to serve one another and to put others' needs before our own? When sin seems overpowering, we need to shepherd our heart with the truth that the old man is crucified. It's dead We are no longer slaves to sin. It isn't our master. We have our glorious Savior, who is our new master, our good master, who enables us to walk in newness of life. See, every detail of our regeneration helps us shepherd our heart by aligning our thinking with the truth of God's word and what he has done for us in the gospel. The more we saturate our hearts and our minds with the salvation work of God, the more we will worship him, the more we will labor to live in humble submission and obedience to him. Okay, now we're going to move on to the regenerate man. And this is probably one of the most practical aspects of the gospel. And so we want to make sure that we really understand the condition that we're in right now as believers and what the implications of that are. So all of us who are believers are in the process of being made righteous. Okay, We were unrighteous at regeneration. We were declared righteous. And now we're in the process of being made righteous. And it is a process. I know for me, when I was first saved, I understood that I had received forgiveness for all of my sins. And I knew that when I died, that I would live eternally with Jesus. And so I understood that the gospel addressed my past and I understood that the gospel would affect my future. But it took some time for me to understand that the gospel has an enormous impact on my life every single day in between. The gospel's work in me that gave me a new identity that took me out of that old unregenerate condition and made me excuse me, a new creation in Christ also provided for me a new way to live in Jesus. And that's what we're going to talk about as we look at the, un, at the regenerate man. Excuse me, this is the condition of a believer. So if you look again at the top of your chart in the middle there, you see those three figures. You'll notice that they change from mixed gray to yellow as you move to the right. That represents the process of sanctification as we are being conformed into the image of Christ. When we start off as believers, you see in the figures that the one on the left is a little bit more gray than yellow. That's what we looked like when we first got saved. And as we grow in Christ, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're growing in holiness of life. What's coming out of our hearts is changing as the inner man is being renewed. You'll see under the figures that it says accomplished once and for all by God, but being renewed day by day in, the, in progressive sanctification. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Therefore we do not lose heart but though our outer body our though our outer man is decaying our inner man is being renewed day by day so the believer is in a renewable condition the condition that we saw over in that first panel could never be made new as it was there was nothing there was nothing in it to renew it was dead but this new creation needs to be renewed and that renewal is a process so if you're a christian you are being changed it started when you got saved and it will end when you take when you take your very last breath here on earth now remember positional sanctification and all of regeneration is the work of god It has only his fingerprints on it. But here, as we look at progressive sanctification, there are two sets of fingerprints, God's and ours, because we participate in progressive sanctification. So we must never believe the lie that progressive sanctification doesn't take any effort on our part. God is still active. It is his work but it is his work in which we participate. If you look underneath those figures, you'll see it says the regenerate man, and underneath that it says mixed condition. Now, what do we mean by that? I think it's helpful to think of this condition from two vantage points, our position and our practice. Our position before God is not one that is mixed or getting better okay do you understand the position okay our position before God is perfect we have been declared righteous so does our position change no it's it it will never change okay that's what we saw over in the regeneration event but when we consider our practice or our walk with Christ It is not perfect. It is mixed. Okay, so though we are perfect in, which one? Position, Position, we are imperfect in practice. practice. Okay, so what does that mean? On the one hand, we find ourselves with new desires. And you'll see um, in the first column that we now have the ability to obey God. The Holy Spirit indwells us and bears his fruit in us. And you'll see that on the chart. And we walk in the good works that God has prepared for us to do. We grow and we become more like Christ. And yet, in this condition, we find that there is still indwelling sin. We're weak. We are prone to sin. And you'll see that on the chart. As believers, indwelling sin no longer rules us as it did in our unregenerate state, but it does still reside in us. We are still in a sinfully weak, faltering condition. But now we find that as we sin, there is conviction. There's a desire in us to turn from that sin. The life of the believer is one of repentance turning from sin and turning to God. That's what we mean by mixed condition. And then next on the chart, we see that the regenerate man requires God's relentless transformation of the believer as well as our own diligent pursuit of holiness. Philippians 2:12 and 13 put these together. It says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, that's our diligent pursuit of holiness. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's God's relentless transformation of the believer. The whole reason that we can pursue holiness is because God is at work in us. And that's what we must have in this condition. We must have God's relentless work to transform us into the image of his son. And because he is at work in us, we must diligently pursue holiness. We must be diligent to meet with God in his word. Because his word is the one of the primary means of grace to renew us. And we must let his word transform our minds so that we're ready to think and to live rightly. To go on each day, to start out each day trusting him and obeying him as his faithful, beloved children who've been bought with the blood of Christ. And then you'll see that the mixed condition of the believer also requires that that we be wary about indwelling sin. You'll see that at the top of the next column. The person without Christ, unregenerate man, that person is not concerned about indwelling sin. They're not concerned about their offense to God. And when we die and we go to be with Jesus, we won't be concerned about indwelling sin then. Because in that condition, indwelling sin will be gone. But for the believer in this mixed condition, we can be, and we must be, very cautious and alert to indwelling sin. Understanding what God says about our weakness should tear down any false sense that we can grow, or that we can be a useful instrument in his hand without seeking him diligently in his word. At the same time, we can be encouraged that as we do that, he is faithful to continue his work that he's begun in us and that he will help us persevere. So before we move on and look at how we can shepherd our hearts with the future gospel realities of the heavenly man, we need to think about why we're in this mixed condition. We are loved so lavishly in the gospel. We are so completely transformed that the old man is gone. And yet, we are so very weak. We are so prone to sin, so prone to wander. And God tells us why it is this way. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. It says, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. He's referring to Genesis 1, to creation. He's saying the creator, the one who has shown, he's saying the creator is the one who has shown in our hearts. Why? To give the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ. He is shown into our hearts so that we would understand the glory of God in the face of Christ. He's talking about the gospel. That's regeneration. Verse 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We are the earthen vessels with a treasure inside. That's the mixed condition. Now, why did God do it this way? Let's continue reading in verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. See, God designed it this way to display the surpassing greatness of his power. God, in his wisdom, determined that in saving us, he would put us in this mixed condition where we still sin, so that as we draw near to him and depend on him, his power is seen in a way that would never have been seen had we been saved straight into glory. See, the fact that we are fighting against sin shows us daily how much we need jesus and that's so much better than when we couldn't see our need for him when we didn't even have a desire to fight against sin in the midst of battling sin we can actually be encouraged that we are battling it and god is using the battle to make us more and more like his son the fight is evidence of new life so i have to ask How are you doing in your fight? Are you beholding the God's glory in His Word, in the Gospel? Are you feeding your love for God? Are you repenting of sin? Are you fighting hard for joyful, wholehearted, God-glorifying obedience? Press on. God is at work in us, and he has equipped us for this fight. And, can I just encourage you? You're in the right place. The purpose of Wellspring is to equip and encourage us all in our walk with the Lord. I'm just so thankful to be together where we can encourage each other in this. Okay, so there's one more section on the chart. The heavenly man these future salvation realities what lies ahead are god's grace to strengthen us to persevere in our walk with christ now so let's look at the heavenly man on the right side of the chart we will one day live in another kind of unmixed condition where else did we see an unmixed condition which the right in the unregenerate man right before we knew christ and we will again live in an unmixed condition when we die or when we're raptured the heavenly man is in an unmixed sinless condition he's been made righteous growth in holiness is complete at the bottom there you'll see three gray triangles labeled death, rapture, and resurrection with descriptions underneath. Under the description of death, you can see that death for the believer is departing from the land of the dying and going home to be with the Lord. We will never again be separated from Jesus in any way. Then moving to the right, we have rapture. If we're living when Christ returns, we get to skip death. Christ will come and catch believers up in the air to be with him, and our bodies will be instantly transformed into sinless, glorified bodies. Our inner man will be completely righteous. The resurrection, that's the last gray triangle, is for those who have died. When Christ returns, the dead in Christ will receive new physical glorified bodies that never die and that will never sin we will be perfectly suited for praising and serving and enjoying god forever we will be at home with the lord you'll see that in the blue box we will resemble jesus that's what it says in first john 3 2 beloved now we are children of god And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Isn't that just an amazing thought? We will see Jesus and we will experience ultimate conformity to his likeness. What a hope we have. So... How do we shepherd our hearts with these truths? Understanding something about our future hope, Christ coming again and raising us from the dead and giving us glorified bodies, help us think rightly about our pursuit of godliness now. 1 John 3.3 says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself as he is pure. We are going to see Christ face to face. We're going to be like him. And so what does that mean? Does that mean that we can be careless? That it doesn't matter how we live? Is that what John tells us? No, John tells us that it means that we purify ourselves. God's word also tells us that the future gives us hope and encouragement when we face trials here and now. Paul says in Romans 8:18, 8, "For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us." Glorification realities like these are so helpful in our own heart shepherding and in encouraging others, remembering them And preaching them to our hearts strengthens our perseverance in trials and temptations. It relaxes our grip on this world. And it helps us to marvel at this great salvation that God has purchased for us. Let's pray. Father, our hearts are overwhelmed as I think about all that you have done through your gospel, all of these truths that we have seen this morning, Father, I pray that we would keep these truths before us. I pray that these truths would never become familiar to us to the point where they lose their impact on our own hearts. And we know that will only happen if we stop shepherding our hearts with them. Father, I pray that our response would always be one of gratitude for all that you have done, that it would cause us to worship you, that it would cause us to fight hard against sin, to fight for obedience to you. Father, help us to learn to use these glorious truths to shepherd our hearts so that we would conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And Father, I pray now that as we go to our discussion groups, I pray that we would remember that we are a part of your body, that we would love and serve our sisters in Christ in a way that would bring you honor and glory. And Father, it is with an overwhelming sense of awe in what you have done and what you have accomplished for us on the cross that we pray. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.